don't think he meant to harm anyone. Perhaps not, but we can't be sure. What are you lovely southern ladies learning today? The art of castration. Why don't you just go? We'll help you get your possessions and you can leave. Oh, I can leave now, can I? Just without my leg. Are you finished dressing me up? I leave when I goddamn want to. Everything's gonna change around here from now on. Let me tell you how it's gonna go. Do you even know why Edwina threw me down those stairs? Or why you're Miss Martha there and she took my leg? Because I wouldn't go to her room or Edwina's. No, 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 they didn't like that that much. That's enough. I tell you when it's enough! Please don't shout, go Bernie. You frightened Henry here. <laughs> All right, welcome to another episode of a podcast directed by. Uh, in this episode, we will be finishing off our look at Sofia Coppola. Uh, I am your co-host Dave, and I'm joined by my co-host Mike for one more episode. That makes it sound like you're leaving. You're not leaving. That's very <laughs> ominous. I think that was the original way you pitched this to me. Like, hey, I'm gonna have a you're out, buddy. Uh, guest co-host, uh, and uh, I, I'll tell you what. Nothing against Miss Coppola, but it would have been a different. Director Miss Nancy Myers. That would have been the month I was on if I only had one. Got Paul Thomas Anderson, Scorsese, not Tarantino. The Queen of Kitchens. That's where Mike wanted to go. (laughs) I mean, you say that in jest, and I'm just thinking, like, yeah, who wouldn't? That's the correct choice. Luckily, you get to be here for every episode, Mike. Aren't you so excited about that now? After going through one director again, like you know, now you're trying to make it more positive, but it just sounds like a threat. Everything sounds like a threat from you. I mean, we've met. I mean, you should know this by now. And you're coming to visit, which yes. is also a threat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Very ominous here. Yes. Okay, well, it fits with the, the final movie, right? It the is. The final about? movie is pretty ominous. Uh, so The Beguiled, which, you know, no matter what Sofia Coppola says, is a remake. Um, I have seen the original Clint Eastwood film. It is a real thing that exists. But her attitude was kind of like she didn't look at that movie as a basis. She read the book and really wanted to make her own. Uh, and that uh, got her into a little bit of trouble, as I recall, when this movie first came out. Because one thing she did was remove the only black character in the movie. Um, so people kind of got on her about that. And it, even back then, like when I first heard that, I was kind of like, uh, that's that's a weird choice. But I don't know that I want Sofia Coppola telling us about the black female experience. I don't know that that is. I seem to recall <laughs> her sort of answering uh, in the same fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know your know have, your limits. <laughs> well, if you don't have anything to add, then uh, you know don't try to force it. And mm-hmm. I've I saw both of these like around the same time. I don't remember which one I watched first. I don't know mm-hmm. if like seeing the trailer for this, if it got me interested in checking out the Eastwood version or if I saw that after. That's what happened um, to me. And you know, I'm sure okay. she'd be very upset by that. <laughs> no, I yeah, don't want to watch you. I don't want you to watch that, that old uh, Clint Eastwood movie. We're doing it wrong. Clearly. Yeah, Dave. Well, yeah, this is not the first time. And I remember thinking, uh, being struck by the original movie and like how kind of nasty and dirty it was. Yeah, like, it was you know, great. Clint Eastwood kind of talk, like, literally talking about, like, oh, it, it was basically the film version of, well, she's old enough to bleed. Like, it was very grungy. And it was just, like that first scene where he gets discovered by this young girl. And you get none of that here, which I'm kind of thankful for. I don't need 
Colin Farrell lusting after a 12-year-old girl. I just, I don't need that in my life. I'm kicking around. <laughs> my head. I'm wondering. I don't know. Uh, I, well, okay, you said, I, I don't want to get to like a complete comparison between the two, but right. so you're saying in the introduction to this, this soldier, this wounded man uh, who is now going to be taken in by these women and some of them very young, uh, you don't think it's as nasty? Because I'm, I'm wondering if like, sort of uh, the rough edges of Eastwood, just putting it on Front Street makes right. it more palatable than uh, the used car salesman slickness of mm. Colin Farrell here? Well, I'm going to answer that. Uh, but before we get into that, where are what, do you, what were your thoughts kind of heading into this movie, both when you first saw it and now as we've watched all of her other films? Like, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I was way more excited uh, for it when I saw the trailers, uh, I, you know, the look of it, I'm like, Oh cool. It's the Sophia Coppola aesthetics, uh, in, uh, quasi, you know, thriller sort of horror vibe, um, where, you know, this, this, <laughs> I won't, I don't want to call him lovable scamp, but this somewhat roguish, uh, character is Good taken word, in, roguish. Yep. uh, and what is, you know, initially, and I think you get all this from a trailer, what is initially a threat to these women, you know, that they become the threat to him. You know, he's, uh, the, the tables are turned and that's, that goes back and forth a little bit in the film, but I think the trailer definitely had that sense of female empowerment, uh, that they were trying to get across. And, uh, I, I just thought it looked cool. I mean, that's not, <laughs> I don't think that's like a new take, but it just like looked like a cool movie. And I liked that she was going into this, you know, fun genre, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's a fun film. Uh, <laughs> that so might be first, a stretch. <laughs> right. Um, so I was way more excited for it. And I, I, on initial watch that summer, I, I was just kind of fairly lukewarm on it. I'm like, well, you know, I guess disappointed or thing like, yeah, it was okay. Uh, but didn't feel the need to revisit. Um, so for watching it for this podcast, I was looking at it like, Oh, we're really just going to like sort of barely cross, cross the finish line there. Just like, all right, we got through that. But you know, the, the highs were high, but they're over now and we're, <laughs> we're going to go out with a whimper. Um, but I liked it uh, a little more, maybe without the excitement, uh, maybe going into it thinking, uh, that this was kind of a miss uh, or just slightly off target. Um, I didn't look at the uh, the stuff I didn't like as much. I looked at the stuff I really enjoyed this time around. You know, I don't I don't like this already because I agree with you. Uh, we're having a oh, very God. very Terrible similar podcasting. experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, I remember when I first went to see this. I was I mean, it was one of the movies I was really looking forward to that year when it came out because I had you know caught up with the rest of her work and kind of really liked everything that she had done. And I was like, oh, and she's taken on this you know, very different thing again, which we've kind of talked about that like every movie she does kind of feels like, Oh, you're taking a risk here. You're doing something not necessarily in your wheelhouse that people would expect. Uh, and I, I don't think I necessarily saw it as a horror movie back then, but I definitely did this time. I even posted something about it. Like, you know, the, the beguiled is elevated horror, uh, changed my mind. Cause it like you slap, you slap an a 24 logo at the front mm. of this. Yeah. And this yeah, fits yeah. in with, you know, uh, with you know, Hereditary, with Midsummer, with uh, what's the there's one like they they come at night, like it's just like it really fits in with that very very well. Maybe a little bit better filmed uh, because I think she is a little more practiced with her craft than other directors in that genre are. 
because uh, I think horror sometimes is this gateway uh, as a as a young as a new director, and she had you know she had made you know more than a handful of films at this point already, and I think you could really see it as you as you watch the movie, like whether you quote unquote like this movie or not, like it's beautifully composed visually like it's just wonderful to look at she really knows what she's doing with light and with shadow and i think she does uh a really good job but when i watched it the first time i think because of those high expectations i was kind of like and I, and again i'm noticing that who i see a movie with if i'm not watching it by myself does have a pretty heavy impact Ooh, who's uh, to blame for this well one, i mean i think you could guess who's to blame for this one uh the person <laughs> i saw it with uh who i'm no longer married to um hated this movie thought it was okay thought it was hilariously bad like just mocked the entire thing so i walked out of it kind of with this negative attitude i didn't think it was terrible but i was just kind of like i'm not a fan of that and i kind of expected to be so i watched it this time and i don't love it but i like it i think there's a lot there's a lot to like here um i think there's some good performances i think you know, the script is a little dramatic, uh, maybe overly so uh, in certain sequences, but I think it still works overall, and I had a much better time with it this time through. I don't think it'll ever be my favorite movie of hers. I don't think it's her best, uh, but I but I did enjoy that, you know, 100 minutes or so, and I definitely didn't the time before. I mean, we've not mentioned the sequence, because I, I watched this, I think, both times was my, my wife, and... Uh... <laughs> and true uh married man status uh you know so take this for what you will um i don't remember her thoughts initially like I'm just... <laughs> oh god bless <laughs> you know i uh i i don't i don't know if they just didn't have that particular like line that i could steal from my own podcast uh that's what you're always listening like, for where's the, yeah, where's the yeah. good stuff Nope, I'm like that, that doesn't I'm okay. That, that's not a you know top of the show bumper, and they, I don't know how I can work <laughs> so that you, in. How you think about all your conversations with your mm-hmm. wife? That's fair enough. You know, you got to open with a bang, and you know the music plays and all that. But she doesn't understand, you know, the 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 machinery behind this, behind movie watching, like we do, Dave, <laughs> uh, the correct way. Um, <laughs> but we did watch it together again, and I I don't think. You know, since this is much closer, uh, a few weeks ago that I watched it uh, with her. I don't think this is one that uh, really struck her. I, I think I said in an earlier episode that she watched all of these films with me, except for Lost in Translation, which I just assumed that she had seen like everyone else. And so, like every that human the, being on the planet, yeah. The Come one on. Sophia Coppola film that she's not seen is Lost in Translation. Still, um, <laughs> and I don't think she had strong opinions about Beguiled, but I did with one sequence in particular. Okay, and uh, it is when Colin Farrell. <laughs> has, um, he has been wounded in more <laughs> ways than one yes. by these women. And does this have to do with uh, the turtle? Because that's maybe... the turtle. Yeah, there it is. I knew it. <laughs> See, this is how well we know each other. Is I watch movies like this, and I'm like, oh, Mike, Mike is going to definitely talk about the turtle. So Henry was that like, the turtle's name? I think. I think it's Henry. Henry. Yeah. Uh, he is just going in on these women. He's just. I mean, <laughs> all up in their ass, just about what they've done to them. And, and like all of them, like as a collective, as individuals. Um, and as we said, some of these are very young. <laughs> then you have Nicole Kidman is the sort of, you know, the head of the, uh, the women's club. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's not, she's a little sexier than that. You know, yeah, that's a little true. fire yeah, there. She you know? always is. Yes. Um, 
and and Colin Farrell is having none of it. He is he's not absolving anyone, uh, given <laughs> given age, <laughs> given the proximity to him when he he lost a limb. Right. Doesn't matter. They're all like he becomes the the guy that is is riding sort of being a woman like as just like this one identifying mark where it's like they're all the same right they all they're all plotting conniving which like, is so interesting tears. because throughout the rest of the movie he treats them all very differently because yeah, he's, he, he's, he's trying to get something out of all of them and then when everything goes wrong it's like oh this is who you really are woman folk yeah, <laughs> yeah. can't be trusted but this poor little girl comes up and is like you know please like you know like you're, I, don't, I can't remember if she says like you're scaring Henry or like yeah. she basically yeah. <laughs> basically puts up this small little turtle as like a shield like to like please calm down like everyone likes the turtle <laughs> he grabs it out of her hand and flings it across the room and I I probably watched that about twelve times I just went back and I'm just cackling like De Niro in Cape Fear I'm just like howling with enthusiasm for this don't know if I should but I also think that seeing him sort of emasculated, not just with what, with him losing a limb to me, it's, it's the sequence with the turtle uh-huh. where he just totally loses all power and control over them. Where like anything that was mysterious, moody, sexy about him, where there's the possibility with his, like with his lies, this web that he's weaving that they all don't really buy into it completely. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he literally throws it all away when he picks up that turtle <laughs> Snatches it well, and throws it across the and room. And I think there's something really interesting. Like, it is a, I mean, it is a funny moment. I don't know if it's supposed to be, I don't know if we're supposed to laugh at that, but there is something really interesting about the way Colin Farrell plays that moment. Because there's something similar in the original uh, Clint Eastwood version, and it's much, much more masculine and stronger. Like, there's no regrets there. Like, ah, you know, like Eastwood would do. Whereas if you look at the look on Farrell's face, when he does, it's almost like he's been attacked by this turtle. And he's like almost <laughs> frightened of it. It's, it's not this like aggressive thing. It's this protective thing. And it's mm-hmm. a really interesting choice. I don't know if that was his choice or Coppola gave him some direction, but it's really interesting. And I think, you know, it feels weird to focus on Colin Farrell in a movie full of all these talented actresses. But he's really good here. Like kind of there's not I don't think for me, there's there's not a single misstep in his performance. Like you mentioned that kind of, you know, slick uh, car salesman. And he plays that really, really well. And you can really see why all of these women of all these different ages are really charmed by him. So he is really charming in different ways to all these people. He also has no competition, which also... Yeah, that, that helps. That helps. <laughs> you know, we we do have kind of a last man on earth type vibe here. You know, as, as the world is blowing up around them, Um you know, it's it's not in the way that he would have wanted it, where even I guess they would, but it, it's this forced relationship that is beneficial to both in a way. And I, I mean, that, there's an attempt from you know one of his uh, strategies, I guess, to to stay uh, put is the, all the gardening work he could do, mm-hmm. you know, for them once he's he's well enough. Um, but to me, it's it's just much simpler that they just like most people, they just crave crave you know some attention in this case it's outsider attention um and some entertainment from him and he's he's entertaining even if he's not totally believable i, I don't ever like buy the, the the characters like the closest you get is maybe the kirsten dunst one edwina that maybe has bought into like the idea of 
him and her, like oh, some yeah. sort of relationship outside of the house. If nothing else, um, as an escape from this place that she hates. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that you put it that way because I don't, I don't even think she, her character's buying in like that she's fallen for him. Okay. But I think she's just toyed with the idea of that this doesn't have to be a permanent life with her and the other women there in that house. That there is some alternative. Um, but I, I think you know Nicole Kidman, her version of Miss Martha is kind of like a like an old cat. Like that is bemused by this like consummate bullshitter that yeah. he could pull one over on her. And I, I really like her performance here. Like, I, I don't think I really gravitated towards that. I think I was more into the concept and the, uh, you know, we talked about the genre, like, Oh, Sophia Coppola does horror maybe. And I was just like, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> and this time I just looked at it like a either a stage player, or just like a character drama where I just, I just enjoyed watching Nicole Kidman listen to horse shit. <laughs> and she plays her cards very close to the vest. And then, uh, you know, she gets her man. <laughs> <in a way. laughs> kind of. I think, I think her performance is probably the most interesting uh, in the movie, I think it's got a lot more levels than any of the other characters, including our male character. You know, at first she is very, very standoffish and kind of spiteful uh, towards having to deal with this. But I think where he kind of gets under her skin is the constant respect he shows her, uh, which as a woman during that time is probably pretty rare. And I think mm-hmm. she she responds really positively to that to the point where I think she desperately wants to you know, to turn him in, but she's not able to. And she is, there's a, there's a moment in the movie where you can see she's trying to get someone else to make the decision for her because she knows what the right thing to do is, but just can't bring herself to do it because he's been so respectful and so nice throughout this whole process. And whenever he makes a mistake and she snaps at him, he immediately apologizes. Probably like none of these girls have done for her (laughs) like because they're all kind of you know they're growing up and they have that kind of attitude and you know she's trying to keep them in line and there's there's a moment where you know soldiers have come to the door and she kind of takes a poll of the room and goes like does anyone think we should get rid of him because she knows that she should and just can't quite you know for lack of a better term pull that trigger and she wants someone else to do it for her and no one else does they're all like no it's it's the christian thing to do you know we, he he can't move they would leave him on the side of the road he'd probably die and i love that scene cuz you can kind of see just behind her eyes that she's like god damn it i was really hoping someone would let me off the hook okay i guess i guess we're keeping him alive and it's the kind of everyone's detriment like if that scene flips and goes the other way i mean it sucks for him but everyone else probably lives a better a better life at least for the next couple of weeks as opposed to what happens right after that. Well, you don't have the trauma with poor Henry the turtle. Um, poor Henry. I, I mean, I think she sees him as a conduit for power over the other women. The mm-hmm. other that she's sort of been she's taken on the the you know their the responsibility in this time of war for some degree of normalcy, and that maybe that's going back to you know the black character no longer being in the story is that there's a definitely with the women here, there's a a head in the sand sort of mentality over just how much the landscape is changing uh, from a cultural point of view. And you know what, you know, you can either look at it as a courtesy, a service she's doing and trying to maintain um, some degree, some degree of the old ways, but like, you know, their education that they have here. There, it's interesting. It's it's starkly different from <laughs> this, you know, learning uh, the ways of the world, m- the manners of the world, and then the next scene, there'll be two girls out like 
you know, like, <laughs> you know, tending to weeds, you know, just getting down into it. And um, to me, the, the probably the least interesting character is unfortunately Elle Fanning, which I, I think she's kind of on a, a streak of just being sort of a figure of like adolescent beauty. Like, like that's, mm-hmm. I, I look forward to her when she's, you know, I feel like, and this is a, this is probably like an insult knowing me, but I feel like she's in that kind of like Winona Ryder mm. kind of mold, but she doesn't have the Heathers on her, uh, filmography for like a, for a young role. I'm not saying that she won't. I mean, the closest she's got is probably Neon Demon, right? I mean, that's... But even then, you know, she's, where's the quips? You know, she doesn't get right. to like, you know, smoke after the explosion. She was, um, when I first watched this movie, she was to me the biggest disappointment in the movie because i really like her as an actress i think she's really good uh she's not given a lot to do here other than to be kind of the sex pot like the the desire the temptress all that but there's one there's one scene that i noticed this time that i really really liked uh with her um it's it's basically a silent scene and i think this has more to do with coppola than anything else but there are a bunch of the girls are outside two of the younger girls are you know, having to, to fill up the water and they're kind of playing and like splashing water on each other. And the camera pans to, to Fanning and she's just kind of sitting there like and throws her head back like so frustrated. And it is a perfect encapsulation of that kind of in-between time in a person's life where they're kind of, they're too old for these children's games and not old enough to do the things they really desire to do. And it's this really quick moment, but I really like that moment. But other than that, I don't think she's given that much to do. She's She's there to kind of be an antagonist, specifically for Kirsten Dunst's character, for Edwina. Like, to be, like, the the kind of standard of beauty that she can't live up to, and the thing that Edwina probably thinks that all men really want, you know, is that, you know, that temptress, that beautiful young girl, and, like, something that she she isn't any longer in that world. Um, so other than that, she's not really given that much to do, which is kind of a shame. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst, it probably works better if you're you're looking at it in the uh, with the lens like we are of the uh, Coppola cinematic universe, where it's like you know you go all the way back to Virgin Suicides, where she's like the ultimate like temptress and the one that kind of stirs the pot yep. of you know the entire world, that being her neighborhood. So and what is here, this like? How does it feel, Kristen Dunst? You're on the other side of this now. I mean, I I think if you're looking at it from a, sort of like a meta point of view, like um, just how Hollywood or, you know, in particular a visual medium where, you know, there is something to how appealing I'm not, I'm not even talking about attractive uh-huh. this level here, just how appealing someone is when they're just holding the screen. Uh, in particular, if there's no dialogue and you know, I've sort of lamented that, you know, Elle Fanning's had a lot of those parts. Like, have, my God, maybe super eight is the most talkative huh. she's been. Yeah, um, maybe, but you know, Kirsten Dunst arguably probably is better. When she's quiet, like, I, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of her when she's at her worst. And it's like, you know, Elizabeth Town. I mean, not a good script, but. Yeah, that's, I'm not putting that on her. That's <laughs> I'm not, but that's that's an awful lot of talking. That's probably the most talking she's done in a film. And you compare that to something like Virgin Suicides. There's just something alluring about it where she just, mm-hmm. without any words, she can hold the screen. Um, but I, I do think there is some sort of commentary where this is, you know, uh, two collaborators that have worked together over a course of time where you are seeing her going from a literal teenager to an adult woman. And that's what this character is going through where it's like, she is questioning if anyone, is there going to be another man that 
chooses her in some way. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take a step further, not even just men, but like, you know, her role, her sort of position within these women, will she be looked over? You know, is she only there because she's of that age where it's like, well, you're slightly older, so you're more responsible. What What about when these girls grow up? Is, yeah. Does she have any genuine talent or insight? Or is Nicole Kidman just looking at her as like, old hen your next old hen (laughs) you're in charge and i really like this performance from kirsten dunst a lot i think there's there's a lot going on here it's one of my favorite performances of her maybe solely because it's so different from everything i'm used to with her not a bring it on fan i take it (laughs) i do actually like bring it on i like that movie a lot actually i have a sneaking suspicion that bringing on bring it on i don't know who the director is i doubt that that'll be on this it's uh isn't it peyton reed the guy who did ant-man Ah, there's still a chance yeah maybe maybe okay but most of her roles she plays very bubbly right very you know even after she kind of came out of her teenage years on film she was still playing those kinds of roles and this is much more reserved much quieter which i which i really i really appreciate it but there is a weird um there's a weird connection between her characters in this and the virgin suicides do you know what i'm talking about do you know what i'm angling towards here I don't like the way you phrase that, but you go ahead. I'm not. Okay, so Sofia Coppola has an odd fascination with covering Kirsten Dunst's shoulders. There's a scene in The Mm. Virgin Suicides where, you know, she bares her shoulders because the boy has come over and her mother tells her to cover up. And the same thing happens in this movie. Nicole Kidman tells her to cover up before, like, everything terrible happens and they come down to that dinner and she shows up in her ball gown. There's a dinner before that where she bears her shoulders and Nicole Kidman again is like, you know, we, we cover our shoulders at the dinner table. We're ladies here. And I just thought that was interesting that this is the second time that Coppola has done this with the same actress. And I don't think anything like this has come up with any other actress hmm. in her movies. And I, Do you it, think this is like... Tarantino with Uma Thurman's with feet, her feet. Yeah, exactly. couple of shoulders. Her, okay, her odd fetish for <laughs> for Kirsten Dunst's okay. shoulders, and I just thought, like, oh, that's that's an odd choice, and I don't think I ever would have noticed this if we hadn't watched these movies all in a row. Like, because how often are you going to do a double feature of The Virgin Suicides and The Beguiled? Like, that's just like, the tone is very different. (laughs) I'm sure there are plenty of creeps like you that are obsessing over Kirsten Dunst's shoulders in the Coppola cinematic universe. (laughs) I'll I'll find a Reddit thread. Almost guaranteed. There's a Reddit thread for anything. So help me if I see, you know, from r slash pc case study i'll know dave i'll know oh, damn it found me i'm gonna have to cancel that account now that's yeah get a better throwaway. um but what do you think i mean because when this movie came out a lot of the talk was about this movie in essence being about repressed female sexuality and there's definitely a lot of that here i mean kind of from mostly from the very beginning like you have you know nicole kidman bathing this man and there are moments in it that are very stunted where she's like holding herself back. And then of course you've got everything with Kirsten Dunst. And then you've got kind of the opposite without fanning. There's, you know, she's being forced to repress her sexuality, but it is, she's just waiting to kind of unleash it on the world. And the moment she gets an opportunity, she does. Well, I mean, we don't often see women on screen wielding the power um, sexually in a way where it's, it's it's like you know we see it where it's their choice to sort of 
I'm trying to put this in non like sort of rapey terms, but it's not like their choice to allow it to happen almost as if they've given in to the moment, you know, the moment of passion. And what I like about it here is it's, it's, are they going to give in when it's readily available to them? It's just something where if they choose to, they, and you know, they ultimately do in a different way. They can consume this, this man. Like he is just there. He is (laughs) for most of the runtime. He's just in a bed. Like mm-hmm. offering himself up, just chilling on a shades lounge, like if, living the anyone dream. Is willing, and he seems <laughs> to be here. down for it with any of them. You know, I guess within reason, given yes. you know how old he's they are. He's not Clint Eastwood. <laughs> he's not reason. Clint Eastwood. He's not you know planting one on a small child, but uh, you know even you know <laughs> arguably like El Fanning, that's that's crossing a line. Uh, although given this time period, probably not so much. Probably no one's batting an eye, but definitely watching it we are yeah, it's uncomfortable um, yep yeah so i mean I, I like that i like for the most part it is in my mind it's nicole kidman you know throwing the old ball around in her head like huh i want, yeah. want to don't want to fuck colin farrell maybe i don't yes, know everyone does come on let's let's be real i also love you that want they to fuck this colin farrell day, yeah okay this fair one. enough probably still um, but I like that they, they also, I think kind of had to pull the same thing they do with movies with Michael Fassbender, uh, where he can't get rid of the accent. So they have to create a backstory about like, oh, well, I came over from Dublin and then I, you know, I, I paid $300 to stand in for someone in the war. So it's like, this explains my ridiculous over the top Irish accent. It's the same thing they did in Slow West with Fassbender. And that struck me as pretty comical because it makes me wonder like, oh, what would a what would Colin Farrell sound like even with an American accent? Like, I don't, mm, I don't know I if don't, I want that no. in my life. Like, so I'm kind of yeah. glad they went that route. Uh, I mean, I, I thought it actually played pretty well. Cause it's just like, man, this guy's got shit luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you came sure. over on the boat on the wrong time, man. This is I'm sure there was a pub. You could have, you know, wasted away a few years in, you know, just <laughs> whatever, <laughs> just sit this one out. Um, and I mean, that's, I, you know, the biggest hang up with me for this movie is I don't <laughs> I, I still don't know this McBurney guy. I, I don't know what, what he's thinking. Like, if, right. if, if he's well, because know... he's playing a role with absolutely everyone for the entire movie. I think that's right. the, that's the negative of a character like that. Like, there's no there's no buy in. And he is I think he is the character that even though he does all these terrible things, he should be kind of the most likable because he's kind of showing you some personality whereas a lot of these women are very buttoned down and very repressed so they're a little bit harder to access which is kind of the point but when his whole thing is putting on a different face for everybody you're like how do i where's my way in to any of these people because okay is he does he have like the ultimate like survival instincts uh some of them but then he just can't help himself like he's like (laughs) he's he's got too many uh uh, you know, this is this is not Danny Ocean, right? Where he's got like a backup plan to the backup plan. Like he's got backup plans, but there's a double feature them, for you, Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but if any of these uh, these young ladies compare notes, you're fucked. He's in trouble. So, yeah, you're depending on the fact that no one talks to one another. So uh, I don't know where this would stand on the Bechdel test, like because I assume that they all like these women when they have conversations. It's always about this dude. It's always about. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you have, the, you have the sequences where they're talking about school and they're, you know, they're teaching but they're lessons. Not really, but they're that's... not really interested in that. No. You know where their head's at. Um, <laughs> the point I was getting at was, uh, you know, what do you make of uh, – he, he makes this sort of getaway plan, I guess, with Edwina, this fantasy that they could go off, live another life. 
Uh, and you're thinking like, okay, he's just thinking I need to get out of this place and I need some sort of coverage. So I have this like sort of fake fiance wife and we'll get to some other point and get away from the war. And what does he do? No, I'm going to go to another chick's room. It's like, what, what dude, what yeah. are you? The, and I, I mean, get... the, the plan is probably faulty anyway, right? Like the man is clearly broke. He took $300 to get shot at in a war. Clearly probably doesn't have a place to to live when they leave. She's a woman during this period of time. So, you know, she's not working and she is, you know, I think you're meant to think that all of these women are pretty high class. So they're used to being taken care of. Like, this is not a situation that's going to go like, well for like anyone. What you're providing for me is a voiceover where uh, Corporal McBurney is going to Edwina's door and then he's like, you know what? It's not going to work anyway. <laughs> I might as well just go to all the rooms. <laughs> I'll just try to have sex with all of them. So, uh, I guess, um, you know, it's, I don't know how it is in the original novel. I don't, I don't know if it's just sped up like this, where it's like the big sort of like shock reveal. Um, but, you know, after that point, it's, you know, <laughs> moot point. <laughs> yeah. When he gets thrown down the stairs, the man's got different problems at that point. Yes, absolutely. Terrorized also, by a turtle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and who among us hasn't been there? <laughs> um, I think, you know, I've talked a lot about, you know, bad double features with this, but I do think this makes a great double feature with uh, Phantom Thread, uh, the mm. Paul Thomas Anderson movie, because of kind of how the movie ends. <laughs> you know, this, uh, this ends up a little worse for its characters uh, than than phantom thread um you have a funeral at the end of this movie so. yeah um yeah i'll take a you know a, a bender with uh whatever stew or whatever was made for him and you know volunteering to 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 uh be sick dave and not yes. <laughs> not be in the grave uh, yes. so yes i'll take sick yeah for sure also it yeah. just tells you uh don't eat mushrooms i guess this is the message from from both of these movies stay away from that and he was really going into those mushrooms too. He was a fan. He was a much, <laughs> much better recipient of a prepared meal than Daniel Day Lewis could ever be. Well, yes. Bring up <laughs> <laughs> like, do you think he even touches those things, or oh, he's no just way. like scolding. not if they're not prepared correctly? No, yeah. absolutely not. I mean, try to poison that guy. It's just going to take for fucking ever. Yeah. You're like, going you're so. to need a professional chef to come in and really design it carefully mm. <laughs> to make that work. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like both of us had a maybe a better reaction to this than we expected, uh, based on our previous <laughs> our previous viewing of it, which is nice. I think that's uh, I think sometimes when when you watch a movie and you have uh, a negative reaction to it, for me at least, it's harder to get rid of that and change than the other way around. Like I can see a movie and like it okay, and then watch it again and be like, you know what? No, this doesn't work for me. Uh, but to change from like, no, I really didn't like that movie to like, you know what? There, there's some good things here. I think is a little more rare. Uh, so that was kind of a nice surprise, at least for me, that it wasn't this movie where I was like, oh god, I got to sit through this. Like within the first 15 minutes, I was like, you know what? This isn't that bad. Like I don't know why I was so upset by this movie. This is fine. I mean, all it took Dave was getting divorced for you to to move. Yeah, <laughs> I got to put my love somewhere. <laughs> it goes to <laughs> Sofia Coppola. So. Lucky her, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so any last asked, uh, last comments about this movie before we kind of move to talking about Coppola in general now that we've watched all of her movies? Uh, last thoughts. You know, if she's... Uh, I was going to say last words, but that sounds, again, very yeah, ominous. Yeah. Yeah, very dark. <laughs> um, 
no, I, I think uh, Coppola, she, she likes clearly to use the uh, same actors. So uh, I'd really like to see her do more with Nicole Kidman, see what would be mm-hmm. next. And uh, for goodness sakes, let uh, Elle Fanning uh, just be like pleasant and nice. And uh, let, her, let Elle know. talk. Come on. Let L talk, yes. Not just be someone for uh, you know the male gaze, uh, and that's it. So, All right. uh, Kirsten Dunst, though, you had your time. You're done. Yeah, no. yeah. Which no, you have she's three fun. movies. I like, she's good. I, I like Kirsten Dunst. More of her too. You know, all three of them. That'd be yeah. good. And uh, the also the uh, the young lady from the Nice Guys in this. Bring her into. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Angry Rice, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. I don't know if I pronounced her her name correctly. I'm sure our mutual friend Andrew uh, will correct me if I didn't. She's a big fan, I think, just because she's an Australian actress. So. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I take it back. <laughs> All right. So let's <laughs> let's kind of transfer here to now talking uh, more in general. And this is the first time we've done this. Obviously, it's our our first director we've taken a look at. So what we're going to do is try to figure out uh what we think um Coppola's best movie is, maybe what our favorite is, and then what is her masterpiece. And we're kind of defining masterpiece maybe in a little bit of a different way. It's kind of the idea of like, okay, if if I could talk to someone who had never seen a Sofia Coppola movie, had no idea who she was, had no, no expectations going in, what movie would I show them that encapsulates her style the best? Like if I said, you know, what makes you think Sofia Coppola, what movie makes you think of her style the best, the most, the most obvious, then which movie would I choose? So that's going to be the masterpiece, which I think will be challenging, maybe more challenging for Sofia Coppola than any director we do in the future, because we've talked a lot Hmm. on these episodes about how her style kind of changes and she takes risks. So, so we'll see. So let's start easy. Let's start with what is, what is your favorite Sofia Coppola movie? Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Easily. Easily, so by a by a by a large distance, Marianne. Oh yeah, not even close. Yeah, okay. not at all. So you're gonna hate this. Do you, do you know what my favorite Sofia Coppola movie is? It better not be the fucking Bling Ring. It is. It is oh, the Bling God. Ring. Absolutely, oh, I love it. I just I'm oh. so entertained by it. I just I it's it's maybe the only Emma Watson performance that I think is any good. Like she's fine. Yeah, in, she's pretty bad. I mean, she's fine in the you know in the Harry Potter movie. She's a child actress, whatever. There's not they're yeah. like animals at that point. <laughs> yes, they're like, exactly. You know, As we talked about, like there. working with kids and animals, it's all a clever editing. So she's fine there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, what else did she do? She had a Beauty and the Beast, which is not very good. Uh, she did that movie with with Tom Hanks. That was Circle, yeah, Circle, which is good. horrible, and she's really bad in it. Like, mm-hmm. so the fact that Coppola got this performance out of Emma Watson, I'm kind of in awe. And I think this is more to do with Coppola than it has not, to do with anyone do else. Do not tell me this is your favorite because it is. it's got a terrible actress in it. <laughs> I actually, I legitimately enjoy this movie. Um, I think this is, I you know, I talked on that episode about how like, oh, I don't know if I could ever watch it again. And then I watched it again and I had a blast. <laughs> I was like, this is great. So that is my favorite. Um, but moving to best... To me, her best movie. Hold on, hold on. Okay. The only one in this process that I think I gave a negative review <laughs> yeah. uh, was the Bling Ring, and as I mean, it was look, you were so mad at me for agreeing with you so much. I had to, I had to bring okay. something to this. All right, so, so yeah, that's my my favorite and my least favorite are both. They both have a healthy distance from the closest <laughs> competitor. I'll say that. But I think to me, 
I think her best movie is Marie Antoinette. Um, okay. And I didn't think I would say that going in. I was sure it was going to be, you know, Lost in Translation or The Virgin Suicides. Those are both very, very highly thought of. Uh, but I just think in terms of performance, in terms of script choices, and certainly in terms of visuals, I think it kind of blows everything else she's done out of the water. And a lot of it, I think, is because her previous movie did so well, especially critically, that they probably gave her whatever she wanted to, to make the next movie. It's her, it was her it's, moonshot. Yeah. yeah and I loved it. Like, I just, I think it is, to me, her best made film by a pretty healthy margin. Not like far and away, like, you know, this huge distance, but I don't think there's anything even close, which feels like heresy. Right, because Lost in Translation is so highly thought of, and I do like that movie more than you, apparently. Uh, but yeah, Marie Antoinette for sure. Yeah, it was right there at the bottom with Bling Ring. <laughs> There's still a healthy distance, but yeah, that was the one that I would, would say I would be uh, mediocre on. Um, I, okay, so for me, I, you know, if I'm picking like our version of masterpiece, um, no, no, what I this would... is this is best for someone best. What's her? What's oh, her best. best. Movie? Yeah. Um. Hmm. Okay, so that is yeah, that's different. Yep. Um, all right, you've see, you've got me in because I don't, I don't know if Marie Antoinette is the best. I don't, it's weird to me, like because I picked it as my favorite because I, I feel like it's a even though it is the the moonshot to me that also reads as like extremely personal because it's like mm-hmm. okay, you're letting me do whatever I want, mm-hmm. and so as much as I enjoy it, like I have a hard time explaining like what it is about it that I like so much. Um, you know, I love the vibe, the music. Uh, I love, (laughs) I love how reckless they are in their youth. And yet we don't really see their downfall. Mm -hmm. Like we just, because it's a famous historical character, we know it's coming, but that's, sort of beyond the scope of the director's interest and to be honest it's beyond the scope of mine too because <laughs> look <laughs> look i've i've already gotten old it sucks <laughs> do i need a movie to tell me this <laughs> so yeah if i'm thinking like what her best is fuck it i'm, I'm gonna say i'm gonna go somewhere i think somewhere's her best movie interesting you care to uh, defend that, or are you just going to leave it at, like, nope, that's just her best? That one probably requires more defense than Marie Antoinette, which I think I think is such a big swing of the bat, such a big cut, that I think you're going to have a lot of people saying, like, yes, absolutely. Like, that's, you know, that's... And it could go the other way, too. It could be, like, people's least favorite. Um, mm-hmm. Somewhere, I think, is probably harder to defend as the best, because... Um, it's the opposite of Marie Antoinette and it's so small. It is so, uh, so, so small. We're going to go into primarily one dude's hotel room, very nice hotel room, but we're going to like shrink down the scope to <laughs> a rich, sad person who lives in excess and doesn't enjoy it. You know, it's, it is, it's a nice bookend to Marie Antoinette and like, this is the old rich person's movie <laughs> compared to the young, <laughs> much um, sadder as you get old. Uh, I think it's extremely honest in its um, its assessment of that particular hang-up. I don't know if I want to say depression that Stephen Dorff's character. It's like malaise. Yeah, <laughs> um, and that you know he's he's still got a pretty good life. 
he's not that stressed, but he's not that engaged either. And that's just, I don't know that that's a, that's a hard character study to pull off. And I think a lot of people may argue that they didn't, uh, here. <laughs> Some would say they didn't pull it off, but you know. <laughs> uh, I think that way with lost in translation, because I, you know, I, I look at that movie and think most of it's just fucking bullshit. Like, uh, you know, that, that's a malaise where this ugly old bastard runs into and hangs out with Scarlett Johansson, who somehow matches mirrors his personality with absolutely fuck all the life experiences he's had. But yeah, let's just put Bill Murray's <laughs> sensibilities <laughs> in the body of Scarlett Johansson. Like I, this is the most insulting thing I can say about Miss Coppola's work here. Lost in translation comes very close <laughs> to feeling like it was written by an old white dude. You know, I was just thinking that, like the ultimate the ultimate old white male fantasy, right? Mm-hmm. You mean yeah. like a 22-year-old beautiful blonde who thinks just like you <laughs> and wants to hang out with you all the time and gets jealous when you hang out with anyone else. Man. There's, so, there's a lot of things about Coppola's work that I think if they had been direct, if the same exact movies had been directed by a guy, I don't know that they would have been as well received. Well, I think Lost in Translation, uh, specifically, uh, certainly that shitty Bling Ring movie, uh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Zack Snyder directing the Bling Ring. Oh God, yeah, it's Sucker Punch. I think. We're, <laughs> I think oh yeah, seen I it. guess that was his Bling Ring. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> uh, I didn't like that one either, but yeah, yep. good pull, Dave. Um, Look, I think, you know, somewhere... I, I will always have good pull, pulls about directors I either hate or love, and uh, Zack hmm. Snyder is definitely one of those. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, I was, I'll agree with you on the first part, the former. Uh, if it's, <laughs> it revolves around eastward negativity, yes, you'll be really good in that, that, that world. Um, come on, I somewhere... mentioned PTA already. I like someone I love, so come on. <laughs> yeah, okay. Credit. You'll get the marginal amount of credit that okay. you do. Okay, that's all I want. <laughs> that's all I want. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think somewhere it may be... Uh, going over the loss in translation, the well-trodden ground there, but I think it's a more adult, more honest look at it, uh, covering the same territory where, you know, the, the, the young, attractive women or just people that come into his life um, are not going to, in some miracle fashion, mirror his headspace at that particular moment because they have their own shit going on. Um, and the only one that, you know, wants or clamors for his attention is someone he should have already been giving attention, his daughter. They doesn't right. have much of a relationship with. So it's just, I like it. I feel like it's just a very grown up movie and it's really impressive to me coming off my favorite of Marie Antoinette, which is just like being young and attractive is fun and <laughs> live it up to the fullest. Cause, uh, <laughs> you're fucked pretty soon. <laughs> and just to, you know, I rarely do this, but just to defend your pick, uh, for a second, I do think that if, if people who reviewed this movie had never seen Lost in Translation, I think they would have thought much, much higher of this. I think I don't. I don't think it can be argued that it is a bad movie. But I well, think, but I think there was a reaction some of the to male like critics wouldn't. I think they would be like, can't he like find love with some, <laughs> some you know Stephen Dwarf like girl that. <laughs> Looks like let's just spitball here. Looks like a Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just saying. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> just throw out a name. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So before we move into what Sofia Coppola's masterpiece is, what do we expect out of a Sofia Coppola movie? Like, what are what are the things that we think of? Like, the, I mean, you know, probably a 
focus on young female protagonists, I think, is uh, pretty common. Um, I think someone dealing with with an emotional issue like that malaise, I think that mm. happens in a lot of her movies. What else do you think of when you think of a Sofia? Co- I mean, a great soundtrack usually probably comes in. Um, I I think of like the the imagery she has. She presents a lot of very, I mean. <sighs> Every every image you see in the film is like very controlled, right? Like it's it's extremely put together. It's not like you don't have these like mm-hmm. stolen moments. So, I mean, some films do, but it fits in to like a collage of other meticulously constructed shots. Mm-hmm. And so, even if they do have that one, uh, that one, you know, the sun is set a certain way and that wasn't planned, uh, they'll build around that. Um, I, I think it's pretty honest as far as you look at her stuff. You know, I, I think at some point in this, this series, I, I compared her favorably to like a Wes Anderson, who I think also has sort of shares that sensibility as far as having everything just so. And it's a very knowing. But she's Here's, better. I think she has a better grasp uh, on. I think she has a better grasp on emotion than Anderson does. But, well, but he's visually, a robot. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I can see that comparison emotion than visually. he does. Yes. Well, your dog's great. Um, he is <laughs> great. And Wes Anderson kind of sucks, you know, so um, he makes good, you know, uh, uh, stop motion animation movies mm-hmm. when he's like living in another city and other people are doing all the work for him. So that's is that what that. happened with Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. No I wonder mean, I like yeah. that movie so much. Yeah. Because it's uh, Wes Anderson directed by not really <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, but she has these, like, even though it's very well put together and you're like, oh, that looks exactly like, you know, in her mind's eye, she got exactly what she wanted. Uh, what she tends to like capture as far as the actual narrative she's telling is, are these very fleeting moments. And I think, I think that's an interesting mix there to have that. Like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say like a Fincher or a Kubrick is like, oh, they captured the fleeting moment there. It's like, no, no this has been... <laughs> This has been staged out for six months, yes. and it's like We've you know, poor, it and, yeah, exactly. poor Jake Gyllenhaal and Zodiac is like, you know, oh, your hand didn't look right. Let's do 172 <laughs> takes, you know, of you picking up a folder. Um, so that's to me like that's that's what I think of. I would mm-hmm. say like, yeah, it's going to be a very precise look, but there is going to be uh, a, a loose energy somehow that she still gets through in that that precise quality, which is really impressive. Okay, so pressure's on, Mike. What is Sofia Coppola's masterpiece? Uh, look, I you know I, I blew my load with the first two. The masterpiece is Virgin Suicides. I, I think I God damn I it. don't. I hate agreeing with you, but yes, look, you're I'm, absolutely right. Okay, like yeah. I don't. Yeah, you know, I, I like the way you've set it up as far as like you, you give give room to work here. Um, right. <laughs> I know you don't like was... me springing this on you a little behind the scenes. I told Mike about two minutes before we recorded I'm like, oh, we're cool. gonna have these three. I make three picks here and all I really want to talk about is Marie Antoinette but that's fine I'll talk about two and it's other probably movies. a little harder with her because she's had so few movies like it's not like she's made 35 movies so there's a lot of room this is like okay you got to pick three and she's made less yeah this than episode <laughs> see I talked about beguiled and then the other two I didn't really much care for so <laughs> here are the three I honestly if I'm trying to get someone into Sofia Coppola um you know, I think the first work uh, would be, to me, representative of this is a Sofia Coppola film. I think Virgin Suicides sort of encapsulates uh, everything. Like, you know, I'm not saying the the woman needed to retire after that because she gave me Marie Antoinette in somewhere, which I prefer. But I think most people, um, whether they like it or not, 
I think if they watched all of her work, uh, Virgin Suicides would sort of set the tone as far as like, okay, like I have a good grasp on like, you know, type of filmmaker or the type of themes that she's interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. It's got, you know, we kind of mentioned a couple things, but it's got an amazing soundtrack. It's got her kind of exploration of both the male and the female gaze, um, which I think is another thing that, that she's pretty accomplished at that not. Not I can't think of many directors that, that can do both. Like we kind of talked about in our Virgin Suicides episode about that a lot of this movie is, even though the protagonists are the women, it is very, it's kind of flipped. It is focused on these boys being on the outside looking in and trying to figure them out, like, you know, like teenage detectives. Um, so it's it's got that and it's got those fleeting images you talked about. I mean, it's got, I mean, let's got, face it, it's got Kirsten Dunst. Uh, which is another thing that you kind of come to expect uh, in her work. So yeah, I really do think, and it, it feels, it can feel almost like an insult to say like, Oh, your first movie is your masterpiece. Like, and yeah, I want to make yeah. it clear that we're not saying like, she made this one good movie and it's all been all downhill <laughs> ever mm-hmm. since. No, it's no, like, no, no. I think there are higher moments for her, higher accomplishments for her as a director. But if I, if I wanted to show somebody, Hey, I really like Sofia Coppola movies. Let me sit you down and, and watch this and see if you're into it. This is definitely this is the entry point. This is this kind of gets everything that she's really good at, and as you mentioned, all the themes that she is going to come back to. So yeah, I really do think. God, I hate that we're agreeing, but the Virgin Suicides is Sofia Coppola's masterpiece. I was just looking uh, as an excuse to go back to Marie Antoinette. Um, Any I was excuse? like, what? What was my favorite film of 2006? And I'm like, it, it should have been this. Like watching this, po- you know, for this podcast, has it changed my mind? Like, mm-hmm. um, and stuff. Like, there's a uh, little children, which will probably also not be featured on this show mm-hmm. because I believe the director there has made two films, mm-hmm. three films. I think Todd Fields. Not gonna cut it. It's. <laughs> I mean, you know, it'd be easy work for us. It'd be a good you know? month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Marie Antoinette is just a. Uh, uh, you see it with a lot of male filmmakers that they, and probably not necessarily that they've earned it, that they get that opportunity to, to do their, like under the silver lake, his recent one, <laughs> David Robert Mitchell with, uh, it follows, right? Mm-hmm. He gets to create his magnum opus of just insane. Until the studio of, saw it and they were like, uh, we're not really going to release this. <laughs> yeah. Even a 24 was like, eh, I don't know. Like, and I'm like, what you all really are in the business of making money. I thought, <laughs> I thought you just released everyone's passion projects, but, um, it rarely do you get to see it. Like even with my uh, beloved Nancy Myers, like I, that she doesn't have a Marie Antoinette, right? Like, does she have her, like, just, I'm going to go for I broke. Think so. And what would a Nancy Myers go for broke? I don't kitchen know. Kitchen sequence look like. <laughs> yeah, the whole movie would already. just be the ki- in the kitchen. I <laughs> think mm-hmm. that's, I mean, we'll, you know, no matter what, yes, we'll, we eventually, get we'll eventually get yes. to Nancy Myers, uh, probably for some holiday episodes. But I think it's, she's going to be difficult to figure out what her masterpiece is because there's, there's so many similarities. Like, you know what a Nancy Myers movie is. Pretty much any movie you see, you're like, yep. You don't understand how much I'm going to study for the next, like, <laughs> however many months. Oh, by the way, this is something I want to bring up. Speaking of studying, oh, okay. if you all want to go back and listen to our introductory episode where Mike mm-hmm. railed against the idea of needing context for these directors, mm-hmm. would you tell people now what you planned to see how quickly you go back on your word? Please let the people know. I thought it would be kind of interesting to, uh, you know, do like a like sort of book of the month type club for our listeners. Uh, and I've been a little hesitant to bring it up because <laughs> now you'll have I, to do it. 
<laughs> well, I've actually already like so they don't know yet what we've picked, but I've already like got four books on my kitchen well, counter. We're gonna tell them at the end of this episode what the next person is, so you can just give out that well, information. I'm, I'm months into it, man. I'm in the weeds here <laughs> on this. Uh, so I'm like, okay, give me one book. I'm not gonna say like, like yours. Like I'm not gonna say it's the masterpiece. I'm not even gonna say it's the best. But I'm just gonna read one thing about the filmmakers uh, for that month. And so uh, Anna Backman Rogers is the author's name, and the book was Sofia Coppola: The Politics of Visual Pleasure. It's a good title. It's a it's a it's a pretty dense read, my man. This is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> there were some uh, definitely reached some... our Goodread sponsorship. That's that's what we're angling for here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if you if you want to get your learn on, uh, I recommend it. Um... <laughs> Words I <laughs> never thought I'd hear you say. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was thinking like, okay, maybe next time around something a little less academic and more populist. Yes. Like I basically just wanted. Uh, I mean, the cover is uh, you know from Marie Antoinette, right? It's this really cool little drawing. Um, we'll, we'll drunk a, drop a non-sponsored Amazon link in the show notes if you want to uh, check this out. Uh, but has a lot of really good stuff about virgin suicides in it, which you know, that's I think the uh, the author here is pretty honest about her fandom starting early on with Sofia Coppola's work. Um, and the most I gleaned from it was about the specific interest she takes in characters that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Uh, the worst thing I can say about the book is kind of avoids the uh, missing character in the beguiled, which kind of mm. <laughs> maybe would have been important to touch on with the maybe. the rest of the rest of what's being uh, put out there. But yes, okay, Dave is calling me out, <laughs> calling me out for trying to read a little bit about the filmmakers. Oh, dare you? Aren't Jesus you from Christ. Kentucky? Why are you reading? Get it together. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm the one that provides the flavor here. You know, <laughs> you the, I am. <laughs> yeah, you know, I see a lot about uh, there being too many podcasts with white dudes on there, and I'm thinking like, not from Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I mean, my... the only podcast I've ever heard from Kentucky all have you on them. So <laughs> I mean, I've got like you know, 18. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I've got the market corner. Yes, for sure. Um, so yeah. so I, I read a book, and Dave's upset so, about no, it. <laughs> I'm only upset because you were complaining to me about needing context, and now so quickly without even <laughs> telling me. <laughs> <laughs> flip flopped on this like a politician. Um, uh-huh. So now that you've you know read a book on Sofia Coppola and seen not all these movies, that's why I didn't bring it up. It's really not a big deal. Sure, <laughs> and seen all these movies. Has your opinion of Coppola changed at all since before this month? Hmm. I mean, I, I, maybe some people listening to this would say it's uh, you know not been a good experiment for me because I've come out so harsh on Lost in Translation. Bling ring, I think you're kind of alone. I don't oh, know for sure. Gonna, yes. I don't think too many people are going to care if I like you know rip on that a little bit. Um, it just confirmed to me that Marie Antoinette is a goddamn masterpiece. Is all. So it's like I actually was, <laughs> even though it's not her masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> not by our definition, right? Yes. Like. <laughs> Because <laughs> then we can't do the you know, favorite best thing. You know, yep. you've got to yeah stretch out these minutes. You know we got right. we got bits, we got gags to do. You know next time I won't have a book. I don't I don't know what I'll have. I'll, you know, if we have uh, if we do Tarantino, I'll have like the best action figure you can buy from one of his. Or <laughs> God help me if we do Kevin Smith. That's the whole you know that's a wormhole that I'm going down there. Um, I think like something like that. I 
there's a little bit of self doubt when I get really jazzed about something I wasn't expecting. It kind of slaps me in the face, and not uh, used to that positivity. I don't, I don't feel comfortable with this. <laughs> maybe, or it's just like, uh, you know, I, I Marie Antoinette has got nothing, you know, fuck all to do with my lifestyle and probably most people's lifestyle. Um, I don't know about you out in California if you just hang out with a bunch of the bling ringers or whatever, and that's just like a normal. We're normal just trying day to figure office. out how to pay our rent here, man. It is, it is rough out here. Well, apparently they can't afford uh, alarm systems. That was one thing. You yes. know, even celebrities can't afford that. Um, but yeah, there, there's doubt there where it's like, okay, this just feels like so cool to me um that maybe this is just my own hangups there. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm gleaning something from her work that's not really there. And let me tell you, there's a lot of movie podcasts I could recommend if you like that sort of shit. <laughs> but I tend to doubt myself on that. Uh, so the best thing is I feel like I got I got one of my genuinely favorite films out of this process this first month with Marie Antoinette. Um, and you know, I'm not saying the rest of her work is a shit and unnecessary, but it is so separate for me personally. Yeah. that it is like the one that I'll be like, OK, I'm going to revisit that uh, for years and years to come. Well, Mike, so there's that. You're welcome. One good thing. You're welcome One, yes. for that. Uh, yeah. I'll say your, I'll say Sofia Coppola deserves a little bit more of the, the thank you, but Look, you know what? You I know, can't talk to her, so I'll say it to you. All right. Thanks. I'll, I'll hey. take it. I will okay. take it. So this has been kind of surprising for me already in our in our first months because, you know, we you know as we talked about kind of behind the scenes trying to figure out okay we need kind of a populist pick we need to probably start with a female director so this was. Not necessarily either one of ours like, oh, this is my favorite director. This is who mm. I'm really looking forward to. So it's kind of like, okay, I think Coppola is a good to very good director. And now I think she's very good to great uh, after watching these all back to back. Because there were, I think there were two of these movies that I watched before and I wasn't super high on. Um, which were The Beguiled and Marie Antoinette. And I'm much higher on both of them now that I've rewatched it. So it kind of like brought up the average even higher. Um, I think I probably liked Lost in Translation a little bit less than I did before we started this. Not as less as you do. But, about, yeah, same but for it, me. But just it, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. just a little bit. <laughs> um, but with the exception of that, everything else kind of bumped up a little bit. And now I'm, you know, maybe this is good, maybe this is bad. But my expectations now, surprisingly, are even higher for her next mm-hmm. movie than they were for seeing The Beguiled, which was the recipe for disaster. For being having those high expectations, so we'll see what happens uh, when she comes out with her next movie. I think her next movie has Bill Murray in it, right? So it's another. So if you want to, mm. you want to complain mm. about going over well trodden ground, uh, uh, we're, we're back, I folks. I was kind of hoping for Nicole Kidman there, but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would say my uh, my expectations are also higher, and that I remember accepting the bling ring at the time, as far as like, yeah, this is Sofia Coppola's type of shit, and now I'm like a. Uh, previously proud parent that's like you you, you really do could better. do better yeah <laughs> you don't you don't have to focus on those stupid stupid people like emma watson emma watson so, the person not so, <laughs> wow so i think it's it's interesting that i think if you know if people have heard us on podcasts before which i assume most of the people who listen to this first month probably have uh, they might be Why expecting, though, really? <laughs> but they might be expecting a little more uh, negativity because I think we both have a reputation of like, you know, maybe being a little bit tougher <laughs> of an audience than uh, than up. other podcasters. Are you saying We're both very positive in general on this on this month? Look, uh, well, hell, the the damn conceit is let's look at the like the best directors of all time. You expect us to come out with the the bats like already? <laughs> like, 
You I mean, what? this is my whole goal is to get us to be a little bit more positive. <laughs> like, I guess. Put us on this path. You know what? On that note, Dave, I think it's time for you to announce the All right. next filmmaker. Which is my I choice. Not... I was <laughs> I did, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I've, I've been motherfucking you. I don't know how much as I've struggled to get through this first movie for weeks now. Weeks. All right. Like an 80 minute movie. So um, we're going in the opposite direction of our first director. I don't think you can get mm-hmm. any further away from Sofia Coppola than John Ford. Uh, John Ford, whose career started before the talkies. So that's that's kind of what we're looking at here. First film out the window. Yeah, we weren't going to do that. So the movies we are going to do. Uh, we're going to do The Informer, which is the movie Mike is struggling through currently. Uh, we're going to do Stagecoach <laughs> and Grapes of Wrath in our second episode. How Green Was My Valley and They Were Expendable in our third episode. My Darling Clementine and She Wore a Yellow Ribbon in episode four. Episode five will be The Quiet Man and The Searchers. And then our final episode will cover The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Uh, so, Mike, how much... How much now are you looking forward to this? Well, let's let's change that. How much were you looking forward to it before you tried to watch The Informer? And like has I, that has that colored I, your perception already? Yes, yes. Uh I was indifferent because I think that you know we were like okay, let's let's change to uh you know maybe the the golden age of cinema, the birth of cinema. Let's go to a classic Five director. came back. Yeah. Um I think the two we put up there uh when we were just sort of riffing on this uh Two directors, John Ford, which I've not seen much of. So it's, you know, I, that's why I was sort of indifferent. I'm like, okay, this is kind of homework. I'll, I'll finally now have a reason to get to this. Other than <laughs> other than being John Ford, uh, Dave said so, right? Yes. The other one the other one was Billy Wilder. And uh yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking I would have rather done that. Um so <laughs> We'll see how it goes. Uh, has it changed? Yeah, yeah. This 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 first uh, early work uh, is a slog, man. And I, I, I'm, <laughs> it's I'm, only I'm, like it's, it's only like a hundred minutes. It's like an hour and thirty, oh, hour and fuck, forty. Man. Jesus, <laughs> every ten minutes is like um, an episode of Chernobyl and not, <laughs> not entertaining. It's just like painful. It's just agony. Uh, I have a feeling that you know this this. You know, next month will be Way to where I sell I make... it to our subscribers. By the way, yes, watch I, these you know, movies with us. <laughs> I, I'll probably make some enemies. You know, if you're getting some John Ford super fans, who uh, I'm just calling into question their character. You know, <laughs> 20 minutes into in the former, uh, I have seen Stagecoach before. Um, let's see, I've seen one other one that you named off there. Uh, the the other kind of well known one, probably The Searchers. Yes, I've seen yeah. the searchers, but I'm not seeing the man who shot Liberty Balance, which is also famous. So, which you should we'll have. It's Jimmy strong. Stewart. I'm shocked that you didn't see this one out of all the John Ford. I was just listening to a podcast the other day talking about some like it hot, and I got really wistful. I was just like, God damn, man! I've never. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been watching this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it'll be John Ford, and boy, won't that be fun! Yes, it will. Good attitude, Mike. <laughs> uh, so everyone, you should catch up on your John Ford movies. Uh, now that you now that you've heard our episodes on Sofia Coppola, we're gonna you know go a little bit of a different direction. So hopefully you will join us, or at least even if you don't join us in watching, just uh, listen to us, and you know you can you can at least get a good uh, I guess a good plan of action towards the movies you want to watch of John Ford's because I think there is some good stuff in there, and I think you know sometimes these older directors can be harder to access um for modern audiences but hopefully we can kind of guide you along on that process 
you know what? If we can't, I'll be the one saying because they're fucking boring. That's why. <laughs> All right, that's enough. We are going to end our Sophia Coppola episodes now on that super high note. Uh, so you should, uh, of course, rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Directed by Pod. <laughs>